Will you please join me in the prayer for illumination? Let us pray. Holy God, author of life, through the power of your Holy Spirit, may we hear and understand what your word has to tell us today. Amen. Our scripture today is um, from Psalm uh, chapter 62, verse 5. For God alone, my soul waits in silence, for my hope is from him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Okay, uh, let me start it off with a little story this morning. It was the year 1990, and... The San Francisco 49ers, February of that year, were going to go play in Super Bowl 24. And it was a bit of a different season for the Niners because their uh, legendary head coach, Bill Walsh, had retired. Um, he had uh, quit coaching the team. Joe Montana was still a quarterback. The main pieces were still uh, on the team. But they had a new head coach, a guy named George Seifert. Uh, George Seifert was the defensive coordinator throughout Bill Walsh's tenure uh, in San Francisco. And in the year 1989, so going into the 1990 Super Bowl, they had promoted him to the status of head coach. And the team had a successful season. They were able to qualify for the Super Bowl. But George Seifert was nervous because George Seifert had been the defensive coordinator, so he was used to coaching the game from the booth, from the press box, but now he was gonna be the head coach, which meant he had to be a field commander. He had to stand out on the field and coach the team. So he was nervous because he was going to be coaching in the New Orleans Superdome, big stadium uh, in New Orleans, Louisiana. 100,000 people were gonna be there, millions of people watching on TV. Every major publication was going to judge his performance on how he coached the team. Um, and he had 53 men expecting him to lead them to victory, so he was nervous. But instead of denying his feelings of nervousness and instead of embracing them too much, he decided, look, I'm just going to admit that I'm nervous. I'm scared to have to go up there and coach in the Super Bowl. So what George Seifert did is instead of wearing the traditional kind of coaching polo that you see, short sleeves, you know, kind of emphasizes your arms, he wore a giant wool San Francisco 49ers sweater kind of like little kids do, you know, he needed something to comfort him in the face of his nerves. You have little kids when they get nervous, they, they hold on to a plush toy or they, they grab their blanket. So George Seifer just admitted, I need something to comfort me in the midst of all this craziness. So he wore a sweater. Why am I telling you this story? Some of you last week were probably curious as to why I, Matt, the intern who hasn't even graduated college is wearing an academic robe. <laughs> the George Seifert principle applies here as well. <laughs> I have about 150 or so set of eyes looking at me. I'm young, you're going to judge my performance. I need something to comfort me. I need my sweater. Okay, let's get into the sermon. Um, we're starting a new sermon series today, Theology of dot, dot, dot. Peter and Josh, in their infinite wisdom, have decided to let the college intern kick off the sermon series. So I'm here today, and we're going to be talking about rest. Let me get my phone out, because I'm about to emphasize a point in Scripture. When we talk about rest, let's realize something. Jesus was really good 
at learning, at, at resting, at making rest a part of his spiritual life, a part of his discipline. We read in Mark that Jesus is a busy man. He is working a lot. It says Jesus never seemed hurried, though he was uh, always crowded by people with urgent needs. Much, much of the time he was surrounded by crowds with barely enough time to catch his breath. Events happened quickly, tumbling one after the other. He went from preaching in a synagogue to casting out a demon, to healing a sick friend, to ministering to the whole city at his door at sundown. And that was just in one day. But we also see in Mark that at the end of this busy day, or uh, very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and he went to a des desolate place and he prayed. In the midst of all this, this chaos, of all of this busyness, Jesus made it a point to spend time with God, to spend time with his Father. We also see that when the disciples encountered really adverse situations, when they encountered hardships, they would, instead of overreacting to everything that was going on, they went and they rested. After the death of John the Baptist, Jesus says to his disciples, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. So in the midst of this, this terrible circumstance, Jesus encourages his disciples to rest. We also see that in the midst of, of chaos, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of doubt, Jesus has no problem resting because when the disciples are on the boat and the waves are crashing and, and things are going wild, Jesus is in the boat sleeping. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Friends, as a church, as, as Christians, as people that are God's children, our, our main desire should be to embody Christ in our life. And before we can go out and, and proclaim Christ in the culture, before we can try to influence the culture or influence our cities or our communities, we as a church, we within our own families and within our own personal being, have to make it a goal to embody Christ in our lives, to, to score his perfection. We have to try and, and, and be what Christ wants us to be. And rest is an important part of that. So, okay. Here's what we're going to do today. I'm going to explain to you two things. First off, why we rest. And number two, how we can achieve rest. And, and why really is rest important? Because here's the thing, when you say I'm going to, in the midst of my busy life and in the midst of all the craziness that's happening, happening in the world, when you say I'm going to take a moment to rest, what you're really saying to God is this, God, I trust you. I trust that when I go and when I rest, you will take care of me and take care of all the things that I might be worrying about. I trust that I can take a moment, I can sit with you for a while, I can be with you a while, that I can rest. Okay, I'm gonna demonstrate this in a point of why rest is important. Okay, remember that I told you last week that I had good news for you 
that I wasn't a professional minister. Okay, a week has passed by, and I regret to inform you, I'm still not a professional minister. Within that week, nothing has changed. I thought maybe after one sermon they would just go ahead and go through with the ordination process, but <laughs> turns out um, it, it, takes a, it takes a longer while than that. So as much as I'd like to really get into it and give you the deep theological reasons and give you this very comprehensive academic study about why we need to rest, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to tell you a personal story from my life, and hopefully it connects with you, and then you can better understand why it's important to rest. My dad, um, my dad grew up in, in Houston, Mississippi, a uh, small town, uh, came to my hometown, Fairfield, Texas, in the late 1970s because Fairfield at the time was building a, a big TXU power plant, so people were kind of flooding into the area um, looking for work. And met my mom, uh, they got married in 1980 and, uh, and, and started their life together, but my dad, um, he, he's, he's, a, he's a working guy, right? He, he, he was a, a really busy guy. Um, he was very much Mike from TXU. That, that was kind of his identity was, was based in his work. And I don't want you to necessarily uh, feel sad for me or anything of the sort, but when I was young, I kind of viewed my dad more as like a stranger in passing because my dad was working all the time, you know, 50, 60 hours a week at TXU, just trying to provide for our, our, our family. Um, so I, I would usually see my dad when he would walk into the house in the morning, you know, maybe when we were going to school or, or going to grandma's or something like that, going to pre-K, um, and you know, we'd say, hi dad, and he'd say, hi boys, and then, you know, he'd creep off into the bedroom so he could go get his rest because, you know, he had been probably working a, a 12 plus hour shift. And then usually uh, when we got home from whatever we were doing that day, my mom would say, okay, boys, go into our room and go jump on the bed and wake dad up because he has to get up so he can go um, do, uh, work his shift at TXU. Don't feel sad or anything like that. My, my dad still made it a point to try to be uh, a part of my life. Uh, I have very good memories uh, with my dad. We, uh, we went on family vacations together. He was always there, so we got to have those really uh, important kind of memories. Uh, one of my favorite memories of my dad is sometimes if, if I was still up late at night, I'm kind of a night owl like my dad. He would take me, we would go into his uh, red Toyota pickup truck, and you know, he would kind of sit me on his lap, and I would get to pretend to drive for a while. And my dad had this mixtape. My gosh, that mixtape is like burned in my mind. Um, he played Ventura Highway from America. He played Kiss from a Rose from Seal. Uh, he had this thing with Journey. My dad has really kind of influenced my musical vernacular. Uh, another funny thing was my dad got into this guy uh, called James Blunt. If any of you know who James Blunt is, he's a singer. He writes songs like tears and rain. I think that was my dad's way of sort of handling his midlife crisis. But um, th my, my, my dad, you know, still tried to make it a point to, to make memories with his kids despite his busy schedule and his work. He, he never missed a basketball game. He was there. Uh, he, he tried very hard to be a part of our lives. Now, let me say this. Um, my dad is not a sentimental guy, and that's why I love him so much, because my dad's not the type that's going to, after the game, throw his arms around you and, you know, talk about everything he's feeling inside and all this kind of, I'm so proud of you. My dad, after my football games in high school, would kind of walk up to me and my brother and go, good job, boys, and just sort of, you know, that was that. Was that. And I've always really actually uh, appreciated him for that. But let me say this, um, 
When I came back after my first semester of college, my freshman year, my dad, uh, it was Christmas break, I remember on Christmas morning he said, boys, um, I have a surprise for you. And my dad's really not one for, for, for gifts or surprises, so we were kind of confused. And what my dad had done was this. He had taken all of our little kid videos, you know, the, the videos that you, you take of your children uh, when they're young, and he put them all on a DVD, and he played these videos for us on Christmas morning, and the whole family was there, and, you know, my mom is obsessed over how cute we are, and, and, my, and my grandmother is, you know, talking about, you know, how, how, how much fun she had uh, getting to raise us. My grandpa is, you know, talking the same way. Uh, my sister-in-law is making fun of my other brother uh, at the way he talks when he's a 9- and 10-year-old boy, that sort of thing. Um, but my dad who, to be quite honest with you, I think I've only seen my dad cry once in my entire life. I remember looking back as my dad was in the corner watching this video, and he said, um, he said, you know, it all just happened so fast. I just wish I would have spent more time with you guys when you were younger. Um, and maybe this is, this is my attempt at being sentimental here, but let me say this. Your kid is this small one time. If you have a nine or a 10 year old, they're a nine or a 10 year old one time. They're a teenager one time. You only get to be the 20 year old intern one time. <laughs> um, I, I saw a, a tweet this past semester from a, a guy that I like, his name's Jonathan Hyde, he's an author. He retweeted it and he said, uh, college kids, your parents miss you and wish you would call. And one of these days, you're going to miss them and wish you could kind of get the point I'm, I'm going with here. You know, take that time with people in your life. Take that time to rest with them and to be with them and to, and to spend that good time with them because, I mean, my dad is right. Like, it all goes by so fast. Like, it's, it's here today and it's just completely gone tomorrow. And we need to understand that, that God, we are a part of God's family. God is like a family member to us. And, and you wouldn't uh, neglect a, a child or a, or a parent or a grandparent and say, no, I, I don't have any time to spend with you. Uh, you wouldn't treat a family member like that, hopefully. Well, all I can say in terms of rest is, and, and trying to spend time with God and rest with God is this. Don't neglect God either. Don't, don't neglect your, your heavenly father. There's a, a great scene in the movie, No Country for Old Men, and it's at the very sort of end of the movie, and, and the main uh, character, the sheriff, played by Tommy Lee Jones, he's He's just overcome by the amount of, of evil and, and, and terrible things that are in the world. He's, he's completely burnt out by all of it, having seen so much, so much of it from his years as being a sheriff. And he, he tells his brother in sort of one of the final scenes in the movie, he says, you know, I had always just hoped that God would just somehow just come into my life. And he didn't. And I know that there's probably a few of you sitting out in the space today who are saying, I really just wish that, that God would come into my life. I had really hoped that he would fill me with his presence, that, that, that we would get to share a life together. Well, first, let me say this. It's not too late. You're still alive. You still have time. But also, let me kind of ask you this question. Have you invited God into your life? Have you asked God to come into your life? Have you try to commit to, to doing the things that would allow you to feel God's presence in your life? Have you commit to, to Bible reading and to prayer and to rest? 
Have you done the things to where you, you don't want to look back at the end of your life and say, you know, I never felt like I experienced God. And the, the great thing about, about God, about sending his son Jesus into the world, about giving us the Holy Spirit is that God is telling us, you don't have to wait till eternity to experience me. You can experience me now. You can begin eternal life now. So the best advice that I can give you in terms of why it's important to take the time is because God is like family to us. God wants us to take the time. He wants us to be with him. And that's why we, we, we rest so that we can grow closer with God. All right. The second part is how are we going to do that? And I've pretty much broken that down into three different forms. Okay. Form number one is prayer. How, how, how can we achieve rest with God? How can we rest and spend time with God? The first way is prayer. Now, I struggle in my prayer life because sometimes when I pray, I don't know what to say. I, I can't verbalize what I'm trying to, what I'm, what I'm feeling inside. I, I kind of feel weird with prayer um, because it's like, oh, I'm talking to God. Do I need to use like some big language or do I talk to him the way that I talk to like my friends and my brother? It's, prayer is difficult. But here's the good thing. God understands that. God understands that sometimes we don't have the words to say when we look to spend time with him in prayer. So what God has done, thankfully, through scripture and through years of church tradition, he has given us a way to spend time with him, to pray with him, even when we don't have the right words. One of the ways he's done that is through the Psalms. If any of you in here are going through a depression or through a, a really dark time in your life, I'd suggest to open up that book of Psalms. The Psalms just like we read uh, up here today. They're chock full of, of, well, despair, of hopelessness. But at the end of almost every single Psalm, we see kind of a ray of hope. We see this, this, this assurance that God will come into life, that, that he will manifest himself in our reality, that, that he will save us from our brokenness. And the thing I really like about the Psalms, and I think the Psalms are important in our culture because of this. We live in a culture that says these are the two ways to deal with your feelings. You can do this. You can either deny your feelings and cover them up and hide them, or you can vent your feelings, right? You can tell it like it is. You can let everyone know how terrible you feel and how awful you feel about life. But what the Psalms say is this. Don't deny your feelings. Don't vent your feelings. No, bring your feelings before God. Talk to God. Process your feelings with God. So one of the ways that you can spend time with God, especially if you're in a, a really dark time in your life, is crack open those psalms and, and, read, and read them. Um, and read them as a prayer. Pray the psalms. Okay, form number two. Pray the Jesus prayer. This is something that um, I do... Um, kind of as a, a means to calm me down. It's a very simple prayer. Um, if you're just going through a period of anxiety or stress or you're just maybe kind of feeling a burden by, by the weight that the world has put on you, pray the Jesus prayer. I think it's somewhere kind of within the, the Eastern, maybe Catholic tradition. But here's how the prayer goes. The prayer is simple. It says, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the way you can pray that prayer is this. What you do is you're going to... Breathe in through your nose, right? Or breathe in and say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, and when you exhale the breath, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
I do it sometimes when I'm stuck in traffic. I'll say that prayer for maybe three to five minutes. It's a good antidote to road rage. So if you're looking for a good prayer to kind of help you when you're feeling burdened by the weight of the world, just, just pray the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And the last way we can pray is uh, Jesus taught us the Lord's Prayer, right? He said, you don't have to use all this big words and, and all this kind of fluffy language. Just pray the way that your Father has taught you. Now, we, we say the Lord's Prayer often, but we don't always know what it's saying or what it really means. So let's just go through the Lord's Prayer real quick and understand what it means when we are trying to pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven. Okay, we acknowledge that, that God exists but that he's not of this world, that, that he is in a different realm from us. Hallowed be thy name. God, we honor your name. We say it with reverence. We, we honor you through the honoring of your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, help our life be the same as yours, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. God, God fill us with your word. Fill us with your spirit, okay? Um, be with us today as we go through life. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. God, we're human beings. We make mistakes. We sin. And God, we live in a world full of other human beings who make mistakes and sin. God, forgive us and help us forgive others. Oh, my goodness. Oh my God. Our Father, we're in heaven. I'll be honest. Oh, there you go. I'm like really hot up here. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Right? God, we admit that there is, tem we're going to face temptation now in the world, that there are bad things that are going to try to lure us in and, and take hold of our lives. But God, deliver us from those things. Give us your deliverance. And then, you want to show the next slide? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We're acknowledging God. We know that we're not just a part of this temporary life. We acknowledge that we're a part of an eternal and divine story. We're part of your story. Okay, so that's three ways to pray if you don't know uh, what to say and if you're looking to rest with God. Uh, another way to do this, and let me be very quick on this, is through the Sabbath. Now, you could probably give an entire sermon on Sabbath. And we know from the scriptures that, that Jesus heals on the Sabbath. And we know from our culture that, you know, some people work on Sundays. Like, you know, I worked on Sundays even in high school. I'd go to church, but then I'd get off from church and then I'd go straight into work for the rest of the day. Um, let me just say this about Sabbath. Don't make it into a superficial thing, right? Don't, don't make Sunday and coming to church and surrounding yourself in community just about, you know, checking my name off of the roll sheet, right? Um, and I know this because I, I'm guilty of it too. My freshman year of college, that's kind of how I treated church. It's like, okay, Matt, we got to wake up early on Sunday and we got to get up and get dressed and go to church so we can text mom and say, hey, mom, everything's good at school. I went to church today and then mom can be happy with us. Don't, don't treat it as that, okay? Um, treat it as an opportunity for you to come and experience God. And how can you do that? We kind of hit on this last week, right? You, you get out what you put in. So if you're throughout the week reading scripture, praying, trying to actively hear and listen to the voice of God, and if you're praying that God, when I go to church on Sunday, uh, that you might speak to me, that I might hear you, that I might meet you and experience you uh, at worship, then that's going to prepare you because you've done the work throughout the week to come here on Sunday morning and to have an encounter, to have an experience with God. And then last, and this is one that I, I'm, I confess I'm not good at either, just rest, resting. 
just laying down, just letting things be at ease for a while in the chaotic world, and just resting and trying to listen to God if you can. Let me kind of tell you another story here because I've learned this. We live in a, in a results-based society, right? We want things to, to go and happen now. We want to get results immediately. Let me say this. You might commit to these things. You might commit to prayer and to Bible reading and to throwing yourself into the community of your church. And I'll say this. You might not see results immediately. That, 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 that's part of it. Let me tell you a, a little story. When I was about to leave for my freshman year of college, my pastor, Richard Hyduke, said, Matt, we're going to do an all-men's Bible study every Wednesday morning at, at McDonald's. Come out and, and come be a part of this. And we got there the first Wednesday, and we're sitting there with our hot cakes and our eggs, and we're eating, and we have our Bibles with us, but we never open up the Bible. We just talk. We talk about sports. We might talk a little bit about politics, talk about life and work. And then Pastor Hyduke, uh, at the end of this, without anybody opening up a Bible, said, okay, do we have any prayer requests? We did a few prayer requests. We prayed, and then we went along about our days. And this, ha- this kept going on for several weeks, and I was like completely uh, angered by this. I was like, this doesn't make any sense. We're supposed to be in Bible study. We're supposed to be learning the Word of God and really getting into the Scriptures. Why are we just talking about these trivial matters? And it kept going on like this for weeks, and we still weren't even getting close to opening the Bible. But then one day, when it came time for prayer request, we had a guy say, you know what? It's the first year anniversary of my wife's death. And he went into detail about what he experienced. And he said, will you guys pray for me? And the funny thing about getting a a group of men together is, you know, we we might act hard and tough. But if one of us gets talking, it's like bowling pins. Everybody's going to, or dominoes, everybody kind of spills. Um, One one guy talked about the the issues between, he was a lawyer of of work and family and trying to balance the two. People talked about issues that they were having, maybe raising a child. Some of the older men talked about, you know, taking care of of one of their older parents. They they went into detail about their lives and it's like all of a sudden it just, it sprung on me. All that time that I thought was wasted, that we were just sitting there in Bible study doing nothing, was actually well spent. And and you see the same kind of thing in your relationships too, right? Because before you can really get to know your partner or your spouse, what do you have to do? You have to learn the silly, trivial information about them. You know, the what's your favorite movie and what's your favorite food and, you know, uh, where are the places that you like to go? Things that you think don't matter. But you have to learn those things before you can get into the deeper part of what are your fears? What are your anxieties? What are, what are your hopes and dreams for life? You have to kind of, you have to dig carefully. You have to start at the surface and then you can go deeper. So when you're, when you're investing in rest and you're investing in, in trying to, to order your spiritual life to where you're making time for God, you might not see the results immediately, but understand this. And you might even feel like you're wasting time. I'm just sitting here, I'm praying, I'm reading my Bible, but nothing's happening. Um, sometimes it takes a little wasted time to to show some actual results. There is such a thing as wasted time well spent, and it's sad because we've forgotten that somewhere in our culture. All right, let me um, end with this. If I can get this out of my notes, I apologize. Um, 
One of my favorite quotes is from St. Augustine, a guy out of the Catholic tradition, and the, and the quote just says this. It says, Lord, you have made us for yourself. Therefore, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. St. Augustine is saying we live in a chaotic world, a restless world, a world that feels like it's going 150 miles an hour. And the only way that we can truly find rest is to find rest in God. And in that first part where he says, Lord, you have made us for yourself, this is what C.S. Lewis called the mythos. Let me kind of explain this idea a little bit. That feeling that you get when you go to an art museum and you see a beautiful piece of art and you just stand there in awe of what you're seeing and you're so, you're so transfixed by it and you just... You, you feel what, what the artist is trying to convey. Or when you, when you listen to a beautiful piece of music like David Hill just played, you, you have that feeling inside, that, that, that sort of tingling feeling that goes all through your body. It sends you chills. You, you just feel what the person is trying to portray in their music. I went to the movies last week, and I'm kind of a story-oriented person, and I really like when this happens in a, in a movie theater. Um, I looked around at one point during the movie. This movie was really playing on these sort of big human themes of, you know, um, you know, grief and loss and things like that. And I looked around, and everyone had like tears in their eyes, and people were just totally in it. They were so focused on the movie, which is funny because the movie was Annabelle Comes Home, which is a horror movie. But people were just, just into it because it was portraying those those universal human themes that we all feel inside the that kind of commonality that we see throughout our, our, our psyche, you know, and, and people were just into it. They all understood it. A hundred people kind of for once in this rare moment all on the same page. We feel the same way when we go out into nature. I remember going to Colorado for the first time and seeing Pikes Peak and I remember looking out at the mountains and, and the hills and, and the caves and thinking, gosh, there just has to be something out there. There has to be something bigger than this existence. And we feel the same thing in our human interactions when we think about, I miss this person and I'm grieving for them. And we feel it when we, when we feel the love of our child or our spouse. The thing is this, we're wired for God. Those feelings mean that we desire something in life that transcends our own experience, that transcends this life. And we can only find rest until we tap into that and so we admit that, God, I need you. I need you to come into my life. I need to experience you. And the thing that I love so much about that story that I just told or, or at the beginning with George Seifert is this. He could have easily have said, you know, I'm this, I'm this tough head football coach. I need to go out there in short sleeves and, and show my macho-ness. But you know what he did? He admitted that he was a human being first. That, that I'm having anxiety and that I need something to come around me and comfort me. And he was exposed. And when we look out into the world, we see this. We see that we're exposed to sin and evil and darkness and depression, fear, doubt, uncertainty, tragedy, disappointment, failure, grief, nihilism, suffering, hardship. And then, of course, the ever-looming reality that we're all going to die. I think that just about covers it. But when we, when we choose to rest, when we choose to spend time with God and to be with God, what we're saying is God... Come over me. Come over me like a sweater or like a rope. Come sit with me a while and comfort me. Because I live in a restless world and I, and I possess a, a restless spirit and I can only find true rest until I learn to rest in you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.